0: All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts. Oh, uh, by the way, something you could be in prayer for. Uh, Since I came, I've been working really hard at trying to be a better steward of our building. Uh, We have a lot of space that sits empty during the week. So I've been given lots of tours to organizations and groups uh, interested in looking for space. Uh, In fact, Friday, a week ago... Had a daycare company even fly someone up here from Houston uh, to look at our facility as well as another facility uh, in over in Arlington. Uh, and uh, as of this week, uh, just doing a lot of work, networking, trying to find out nonprofits that need space. I met with a uh, a ministry that's very interested in in using our space and renting some space from us, as well as uh, a church uh, that's looking for space and interested today. Uh, so um, pending. Everything about the conversations goes well, and pending board uh, review and approval, we will we'll start to have uh, two uh, ministries, a uh, ministry in a church, begin using our space, just trying to be better stewards of it, uh, of all the space we have during the week. So pray for that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts. So we've been going through the book uh, of Acts, uh, by the way, if you're not uh, familiar with it, Uh, Some pastors tend to preach topically. Some pastors uh, preach through books of the Bible. I'll probably do a little of both over the years. But one of the reasons pastors sometimes choose to preach methodically through a book of the Bible is because sometimes it forces us as preachers uh, to preach passages that we wouldn't actually choose to preach ourselves. Uh, And Ananias and Sapphira is one of those. Uh, Surprisingly, there's not a lot of sermons out there. Um, pastors tend to avoid it. It's kind of an odd text. It seems so unusual. Uh, but preaching anyway, so I'm going through it. Uh, but anyway, let me back up a little bit. Uh, so, a little background knowledge that might help you as you read the book of Acts. Uh, a lot of what's happening in the book of Acts uh, is not symbolic, uh, but can be read in parallel to what's happening. In the book of Exodus. So there's a lot of similarities. You got in the book of Exodus, you have a people brought out of slavery on this journey, led by God to a new place, a promised land. So you have Israel, this people, brought out of Egypt, out of bondage, into freedom. And then you have what sometimes is referred to in church history and scripture, the new Israel, the church. Grafted in, as Paul says, as this new people brought out of their bondage, out of sin, into the promised land, into heaven and eternity and life with Christ. So there's a lot of similarities there. So let me back up and share with you a little bit of background knowledge that would be helpful as you read Acts, because the first Christians that we read about in the book of Acts, they were Jews and they knew some of these stories. So Israel. This people formerly enslaved, they're brought out, led by Moses, who by his own admission is not the right man for the job. He, he tells God all sorts of reasons why he's not the best candidate. And then as you see uh, the story unfold and you see Moses' leadership, you see multiple occasions where, well, yeah, Moses was kind of right in a way. He wasn't the best leader for the job, but but God chose this leader for this particular time to lead these people and they are led out of Egypt out of bondage and they begin they begin to uh, br- uh, grumble um, and, and complain about what this journey is because it, it's kind of hard they're out here in the wilderness uh, but God is trying to shape them and he knows that they've been spent. they've spent four hundred years in bondage under this old way and this old way of viewing the world the Egyptian way and so God says hey there's There's a new way. There's a new rule. I'm giving you a new way to live your life. And the books of Exodus, uh, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, they set out some of these rules that God gives and says, this is the way you are supposed to live now. This is the new way. Egypt's rules were the old way. So some of the new ways to live are things like take care of the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant in your midst because remember Moses says, you too were once uh, an alien. He says, you know, the old way, it's the Egyptian way, it's all about yourself. The new way is set aside some of your first fruits to take care of others. Give generously to others in need. Don't harvest all your crops so that other people can come glean some and, and help themselves. So he sets these, these new rules and then he sends manna, bread from heaven, and he says, collect just enough for that day. I will give you your daily bread. And when the Sabbath comes around, right before that, you are to collect two days to provide for the Sabbath, but no more. I am going to teach you day by day by day that I am your provider. But, but they're still stuck in their old ways. They grumble, they complain. And you see it multiple times. So Moses goes up on a mountain, and no time at all, they create a golden calf. A little bit later, they grumble again, and God sends snakes in their midst uh, to punish him. You see this happen because over and over, they want to revert to the old ways. And in fact, Exodus, you don't have to turn there, but let me just read it to you. Exodus 16, verses 2 and 3, they even say it. They say, grumbling to Moses, in the desert, the whole community grumbled Against Moses and Aaron, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. If only we had stayed back there. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all we wanted. Well, let me pause there for a second. Uh, There were slaves. Uh, It's possible that their memory of their enslavement is a little rosy. Um, I don't know that as slaves in Egypt it would have been that good. I don't know that as slaves in Egypt, they would have been able to, quote, eat all they wanted, but in the new journey, the old familiar still looks pretty good, and they start painting a rosy picture. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. And so this happens time and time again where they they grumble and complain against what's happening because the journey is hard. They're wandering in the wilderness. They're out in the desert, and and it's tough, and the security is gone, and the familiarity of the past, although it included slavery, was still more comfortable than the freedom of the unknown future. So God punished them. 3,000 died that day at Mount Sinai when they uh, built and worshipped the Golden Calf, another time the snakes come and God punishes them. And then the first few chapters of Acts happen. You have a new people beginning with the 12, symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. And and you have a new people, a new Israel is forming. And in Acts, once again, God is forming up a new people. And says, once again, there's a new way. Remember Jesus' words in the book of John you have heard it said, but I tell you, or a new commandment I give you. So Jesus, with this new group of Israel, he's been setting out some new rules, just like Moses had set out some new rules for, through God. And, and God has been working in this people in Acts. So you read in Acts 2, verses 42 and 47, this amazing passage about how they're giving, they're selling their possessions, they're providing for the poor, they're gathering together daily, they're praying. God is forming these new people in a new way, and something new is happening. And it's, it's amazing, and it's beautiful. And, and then you get this story, this story about, about a couple of people, a man and a wife, who, they didn't really buy into the story. And and so you get this unfortunate thing in Acts chapter 5, or actually let me back up and give you a taste, let me, we'll back up into the last part of Acts 4 so you can better understand why these people act the way they do in Acts chapter 5. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Acts 4, verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. What an amazing passage. From, for from time to time... Those who owned lands or houses sold them. So if anyone who had some extra stuff, they were still meeting in houses. So it's not like every single person sold every house um, because the Acts says they were still meeting in houses. So the idea here is they had extra land. So it's like if you, you know, had a second home, a vacation home, and you decide, you know what, I don't need this anymore. I'll, I'll sell it. Or you have a, a bit of land where you, you know, go hunt deer or whatever. That would be the equivalent uh, today. For from time to time... Those who owned lands or houses, sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, now listen to this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles named Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now here, with Barnabas, here is where Ananias and Sapphira get their idea. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Peter, Peter's saying, Ananias, we didn't make you sell this, uh, sell this property. This was your property. If you wanted to give it, you could have freely given it. But there was, there was no idea here where it was a requirement. Barnabas, the story of Barnabas selling his land, apparently it's mentioned because it was It was an unusual thing. It was a special thing. It was not a requirement in the church that that if you had extra land, you sell it. And certainly, it wasn't a requirement that if you have extra land and want to sell it, that you have to give all of it away. And that's what Peter is saying here. This was your land, your money. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Well, yeah, I I think it would. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And uh, the writer Luke says the same phrase twice. Great fear seized the whole church, and all who heard about these events. So Luke repeats twice that this created fear. So the idea apparently is, Luke is saying, God was doing something with this unique event. when, Unique in the story of the New Testament. God in an instant um, strikes down two people dead. And apparently it was something to do with a teaching moment. To put fear into the people to understand it is a dangerous thing to test a holy God. So, so so, the people in Acts, these new people that God is forming, just like he had been working on this new people in Exodus. He's been forming these people and, and they're selling their possessions when there's needs. They're praying together, they're doing the right thing and, and God is successfully... Shaping these people. Listen to some of these things that come out of, out of the book, uh, book of Acts. Acts 4, 19. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him, to God? You be the judges. So God's shaping this new people that they're no longer even afraid of what people think. They're just concerned about what God thinks. Acts 5, 41 through 42 Uh, Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, the leaders, rejoicing. If you're someone who underlines in your Bible, underline that word. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name because right before, verse 41, they were beaten. They were flogged for preaching in the name of Jesus and so they go out with their backs bloody and nasty from the pain of being beaten, and they are rejoicing because they were worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And then day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming. The good news that Jesus is the messiah so so god 's shaping these people they' they're they 're coming to the point where they they have a proper understanding of money. Money is simply a, a tool to be used it 's not an end in itself, and so they're they're willing to sell it. Uh, they understand that uh, that the um, views of other people sure they're important, but they're never more important than than God. so if someone says, "Stop preaching the name of Jesus," they say hey, we got to follow." God, not you, and even that God is shaping them so much that if they even suffer for the name of Jesus, they do it, they do it gladly because they're so passionate about letting people know Jesus, the Messiah, came to die for your sins and my sins, and if I have to suffer a little bit so that you understand that message, I will rejoice in suffering so so then we have this story we have this story of people who they don't they're not following the new set of values the values that say we we care about what god thinks instead of other people they don't they don't follow that value the value that says we desperately want others to know jesus so we'll rejoice in any suffering we endure if it brings people closer to Jesus. Ananias and Sapphira, they don't buy into that value. Nor do they buy into the value that we're not worried about our finances because if God could provide daily bread for his people in Exodus, he can provide for us. So see, Ananias and Sapphira... They're, they're participating in this community that has this new set of values, but they're not buying in. And instead of admitting that and confessing it to this new community, to the church, you know, they could have said this story could have gone so much differently. They could have seen Barnabas sell this piece of land and everyone calls him the new nickname and son of encouragement. They could have seen that and they could have said, hey, church family, you know, Ananias and I, or Sapphira and I, we, we, we want to be like Barnabas. We want to be able to give as generously as he does and not care about it. But can we just confess to you, church, we're just not there right now. Uh, we're just struggling. We, we feel like we just can't let go of this money. So can we just confess that to you and will you pray for us, church? That story, it, it could have gone that way. But instead of just being open and honest and upfront and saying, we want to be like Barnabas, but we're just not there yet. They fake it. They fake it and they lie. Because they do care about what other people think about them. They want to, they want to have a nickname, like son of encouragement, just like Barnabas did. And, and they, they do believe that God may not provide their daily bread, so they got to keep some of it back. And they believe, apparently, that, that people's thoughts of them would, would just be terrible if, if they said, hey, church, you know what? We, we, we were planning to, to give all, the, all of this money away when we sold the property, but we've changed our mind. Uh, we're just going to give some of it away. They could have done that. But they fake it. They they lie. Uh, There's a book um, called People of the Lie by a man named Scott Peck. I heard about it for years uh, when I was in college. Uh, One of my professors, who was a former pastor, he he would talk about it frequently. And the entire idea of the book, this author says, it's it's kind of semi-autobiographical, where this author had begun to interact with all of these people through um, through his work and, and ministry of people that had for so long they had lied to their self that they actually started to believe the lie was true that's why he calls it the book people of the lie they, they start to believe the lie they've lied to others and to themselves for so long they start to believe the lie which uh, you know I just remember that hearing about that book and, and knowing about it and, I, w- I wonder if Ananias and Sapphira, was this the only thing they lied about to their church? I, I wonder if they had lied to themselves for so long about things that, that they started to believe it. N- n- lying about saying to their new community they're in, yeah, we care about the poor, yeah, we care just as much as Barnabas does, Maybe they lied to themselves and said, We love Jesus just as much as we say we do. Uh, we, we care about non Christians who will die and spend an eternity in hell. Yeah, we care about them. I, I don't know. I'm going outside of the Bible. I, I, I don't know. But I, I wonder if this was the only lie that they have ever, ever told. But the story ends badly because they're caught faking it, they're caught in the lie. The issue wasn't that they lied to begin with. It's that when it's brought to their attention, they keep lying. They keep faking. Peter brings to their attention, points out, hey, you're trying to deceive us. This was your land. This was your money. You don't have to lie to us. Who, why are you even doing this? And as Sapphira is asked, was this all the money? Yes. Yes, it was, Peter. So when Peter confronts them, they could have repented. When Peter comes to Ananias, says, is this all, all the money? Uh, well, no, no, I, you know, I, I, I didn't know I was going to get that much for the land, and Sapphira and I were talking, you know, and, you know, we had agreed that when all the kids graduated, we were going to buy them new camels, you know, and, and I, I just couldn't. I couldn't let go of it. I'm sorry, Peter. I'm sorry for lying. Uh, Peter, pray for me because I I feel like money is controlling me too much. I'm sorry. And and, and when Peter confronts Sapphira, Sapphira, this money that your husband has brought to the church, is this all the money you received from the sale? The story could have gone really differently. She could have just thrown her husband under the bus and said, I told him it wouldn't work. I told him we'd get caught. And instead, she lies again. This is a good line. If you're someone who takes notes, write it down. It's really, really good. And I can confidently say it's really good because it's not mine. I stole it from someone else. The problem for Ananias and Sapphira wasn't that they got caught. The problem was their inability to repent after the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, had caught them practicing the old sinful patterns that would ultimately destroy this new community. The problem for Ananias and Sapphira wasn't that they got caught. The problem was their inability to repent after the Holy Spirit caught them practicing the old sinful patterns that would ultimately destroy the community. So, in this strange passage, God Struck them dead. Just like he had done to others as the new community of Israel was forming in the wilderness. Strikes 3,000 down in one day. Strikes more down with sickness and plague and snakes. See, this story of Ananias and Sapphira, it's, it's an odd story. I don't really know what to do with it. I haven't seen anyone drop dead lately. I haven't heard about any stories since I've been alive Anyone in recent history, church history, dropping dead when they're caught in a lie, I don't know, maybe maybe it happens. So I don't know what to do as a preacher when I look at this story and think, well, do I need to say, hey, be careful, this might happen to you today? I, I don't know. But what I do know from this story is God takes the formation of his holy people seriously do not toy with his people do not fake it with his people do not continue living in the old patterns the old patterns of Egypt the old patterns of sin because when you bring that into his people he cares a lot about it and I know He killed two people because of it. I can't say confidently that he would do that again. But here's what I can say. I know that he cares enough about the formation of his people, the church. And he will form his people into a holy and godly and pure bride ready for Christ's return as the scripture says. He will do that. He will accomplish it. And I don't know if he's going to still cause any any person to drop dead, but you know what I do know? I know that he cares so much that his church, as the book of Revelation says, that his church be presented to him as pure and holy and spotless. I know that if he has to destroy a few churches in the way, he will do it. Or maybe i put it a different way. I know that he cares so much about his holy church. If a few local churches want to destroy themselves, he will let them do it. So that's what I know. So don't, don't worry, I'm not saying, hey, you better give all your tithes or you might have a heart attack. But, but I do know that God cares about his church he doesn't want us bringing old sinful patterns into it and I do know that he might destroy some churches in the way or let them destroy themselves as he accomplishes his mission to have a pure and holy spotless church I don't want this church to be part of the old patterns. I don't want us to bring old patterns of sin into us. I, I'm doing my best. Uh, maybe you could join me in it for three weeks, four weeks now. Goodness, I can't remember. I think four weeks. Maybe it's three. I've been fasting. Uh, fast. I'm, I'm only eating one meal a day. I've been doing that. I guess, I guess it's three weeks today. Maybe you could join me in it because I passionately want this church, this body of believers to be a pure, holy, and spotless bride of Christ. that God would be happy to call his own. So I've been doing a lot of prayer and fasting and dealing with the hunger pains and being reminded, God, I need you. I need you. I need you to show me. How, how to help us here, how to lead us through this wilderness. I was doing pastoral phone calls on Friday, called, called one person, recognized the voice, immediately said, well, hi, it's Chris Brandigan from Grace Tabernacle. First words I hurry out of the phone were, I'm never coming to your church again. And I, I thought the person was joking, <laughs> so I laughed. Uh, that didn't go well. And then I realized, oh, that was not a joke. And so I was told by this person that they were no longer coming to the church for three reasons, three very explicit reasons. I repeated them back to the person to make sure that I heard correctly. Uh, Reason number one was because I stopped the meet and greet time during our morning worship. Um, Let me explain that, by the way, because I I think it's fair that you understand. I, I stopped it, by the way, because I actually got the idea from my supervisor, Dr. David Downs our district superintendent for the West Texas District, and on my, on the Sunday that I was installed as the pastor, uh, he pointed out that sometimes meet and greet times can be a time where visitors stand around and realize no one, no one talks to them. Uh, so that's why I did that, not indefinitely, but I thought, you know, I don't, I don't think we're greeting as well as, as we should, so I'll just put that to the side so that we don't have to worry about any of our guests being awkward or feeling awkward. Reason number two, I changed the name of the second Sunday lunch to the monthly visitor's lunch. Man, I tell you, our church, we do fellowship well. We're a family and we know each other well and, and, and we care about each other's lives. But it was just a subtle way to help us say, you know what, we need to, we need to consciously make an effort and, and tell any guests to come, hey, we've set aside a time for you. This is a monthly lunch that, yes, it's, it's fellowship for us, but, but if you're a guest with us this is a time we have set aside to get to know you under the old way the lunch would have just been for us at least in the name or it may be how it appeared but the new way we say to any guest hey this this time we've set aside every month this is this is for you guest welcome let's sit down and have have a meal together let's get to know you reason number 3 uh, by the way, in case you're curious, was that my preaching was incredibly boring. And we can all agree that that one is accurate. Uh, I, t- I told this person, I said, I am with you. I've heard myself preach, and I tell you, I don't, I don't care for it. Uh, but I said well, that's probably just because I'm new at preaching every Sunday. Uh, but honestly, uh, if I'm still such a bad preacher in a few years, you should probably fire me. But hopefully, my preaching is not as good as it, as it will be one day, um, because I'm just new at it. But, but you know, I, I want us, I want us to be a people who leave the old ways behind if, if, it, if it means we might alienate a non-Christian in our midst. I want us to be a people who follow the example of God the Father who says, I'm like a shepherd. I'm like a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And 99 are safe in their pen at night. But there's one still out there. And it's not that I don't love the 99, but I can't see the one die out there. So I want to be a pastor who follows the example of God who says, 99, I love you. I love you. But I also love the one way out here. So I want to be a pastor who does what God says he does. Who, who has As Jesus did came to seek and save the lost so I want to be a pastor who says hey 99 I love ya I love ya (laughs) but there's the one out there so while you're so safe and together in here as the 99 did you know there's the one out here in the dark, where the wolves can come and steal and destroy. Did you know there's the one out there? 99, I love you, but I want to go find the one. And I'll do it by myself if I have to, but 99, I really want you to join me as we find the one, because the one is out there. Dying in the dark, lost. And our scripture says, our father is out there seeking the one. And he invites us in this amazing privilege to join him. Do you know what it would be like? If the President of the United States or, a, or the, the King or the Queen of England, someone super, super important, says, Hey, Deborah. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Dabber. Would you join me on this special, special trip I'm going to make? What if the President of the United States calls you up and says, Hey, Doris, I've got this special trip planned where I'm going way out here. I want you to join me. If the if a king calls and says, "Hey Lindsay, I got this amazing trip. I think you'd be just the person to help me. Would you go?" Would you go? Would you go if maybe it was a little hard? Would you go if it was a little uncomfortable? Would you go if you had to give up three or four minutes of meet and greet on Sunday morning? Would you go if you had to spend a little extra money? Would you go if you had to lose a little sleep or rearrange your schedule? What if the trip was someone inviting you to go save, literally, dying people would you go because you know what it's amazing what becoming a pastor will do becoming a pastor (laughs) will point out all of the sin and the hypocrisy in yourself because I know how I would have answered that so much of my life I mean I got the actions to prove it. I know what the answer would be. No, I'm busy. Sorry. I got to sleep. No, I can't afford that. My favorite TV shows on. No, that's that's kind of uncomfortable. No, God, no. No. So being a pastor is like an onion, and it's just peeled away the layers at me to realize what have I done all my life? Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel or hides it. And I say, Jesus, didn't don't you know me? That's what I've done most of my life. Yeah, I got a lamp that I try to hide. And he's pointed this out in me, and I've just had to repent. I've had to repent, to realize, God, I'm glad you saved me, but they can go to hell. At least that's what I've said in my actions, you know? So as your pastor, I want to let you in to know what's been going on in me. I have been repenting of my apathy and my lack of care for the lost. I have had to repent that I I do the very thing Jesus said no one would do. Light a lamp and put it under a bushel. But I don't want to leave it there. I, I want it I want to challenge you as as I have been challenged. I've been been challenged a lot this week. Hearing from others. Because sometimes, to be honest, I start to think, oh, I want to to do so much. I want to be so different. I want to reach the lost. I want to get to know my neighbors. But how, God? How how do I even do that? That's why we showed that video earlier. This one very average suburban couple. We just gets to know their neighbors. And when they found out that their neighbors happened to be a gay couple, they had a choice then, a fork in the road. They could have either said, well, nice, nice meeting you, and then never talked to them again. Or they could have, day after day, week after week, continued to interact with someone that, or a couple that made them a little uncomfortable. Uh, so we're, we're going to be going through this process together. Because I've been, I've been looking everywhere I can and reading what I can and watching what I can and listening to what I can to try to figure out, okay, practically, God, I, I want to be better. I want to reach the lost. How do I be, even begin to do that? How do I begin to do that in a way that doesn't sound like a, you know, Ned Flanders, Nancy Nazarene, you know, weird church guy? How do I do that in just a normal way where I can just get to know friends and neighbors? How do I do that? So as I am learning, I will be sharing uh, what I learn uh, with you. So we'll we'll close with uh, one more video uh, at the end. That practically it's one example of of a few ladies how they've been uh, doing that, this in their neighborhood. Um, but so we're going to close with a time of of worship, um, finishing up our, our worship time together. And then we'll take uh, communion uh, together. Um, so worship team, if you want to come up. And as, as they are coming, I want us to prepare our hearts for communion. Church of the Nazarene, communion is, is always open. It's open to any and all. Uh, all who want to accept and receive what Christ has done.